Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sudbury Health Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we talk with healthcare leaders and the state of the industry, patient engagement, and technology innovation. I'm your host, Rich Preston, and today we're fortunate to be speaking to Jonathan Ogachak, who is the CEO and co-founder of Stack, which is a really interesting startup focused on the challenges of running pharmacies that Jonathan had observed earlier in his career. So Jonathan, welcome to the podcast today. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Rich. It's great to have a chance to chat again. So uh, yeah, just maybe to help our listeners know you better, maybe you could share if you had a dream career when you were growing up and a, a short summary of the path that led you to where you are today. Yeah, sure. So I, I you know, strangely enough, I never thought that I was going to be in pharmacy, let alone a pharmacist. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in high school, I thought that I was going to be an architect and went through that whole process of, you know, I'm going to shadow, I'm going to learn, I'm going to do. And it wasn't until you know the night before my capstone project was due for, for senior year of high school that I shadowed an architect. And as they were designing a, a bathroom, for a church and they said, this is what I do now. I don't get to design cool buildings. I design church bathrooms. <laughs> He's like, don't, don't go into this as the line of work. <laughs> and I, I said, you know, oh crap, maybe I shouldn't do this. And so yeah. I ran the register for a family friend who owned a pharmacy. And I just so happened to be working that night. And I'm like, can I shadow you? Cause I don't mm-hmm. want to work on a project that yeah. I don't see a future in. And one thing led to another, went to pharmacy school, graduated. And here I am today, actually uh, practicing pharmacy to a certain degree. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I can affirm that. Having been an architect earlier in my life, that yes, there is stairways and bathrooms are definitely a key part of an early uh, architectural career. So uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Definitely (laughs) dodged that bullet. Well, very cool. And so tell us a little bit about Stack and what sort of was your original vision for the company and how that's evolved since starting it? Because you were about four years in, right? uh, Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, I used to own a specialty pharmacy. That's where Mm -hmm. you and I uh, were introduced Mm -hmm. in the first place. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that I realized, having worked at several specialty pharmacies, is that technology doesn't really lend itself to the specialized nature of what healthcare needs today. Mm. And so we, we... I saw this as an opportunity, like, let's find a way that we can build a small use case. Let's see Mm -hmm. how we can implement it and then see how we can look to grow it from there. And that's really what Stack was. It was was kind of a sandbox for us to see how can we take and apply technology to an area that's very untechnological, like running a pharmacy Mm -hmm. or running a trade association Mm -hmm. and see if we can gain some improvements. And so we Mm -hmm. built Stack as a, we call it a professional information management platform. It's a way for us to curate content based on what we know about running businesses in the industry Mm -hmm. and sell that to clients. So that way they can come and download a framework from us and allow it to automate and run their businesses. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a, a way that, you know, we felt was was very meaningful and purposeful. You know, as a pharmacist, I get licensed every other year in Pennsylvania, the exact same way as every other pharmacist. Mm-hmm. But if you walk into any pharmacy with a licensed pharmacist, they all track and manage and maintain those things their own way. So we said, why don't we just make it easier and let's put some technology in place to do that. And you know, so far, I'm not putting whatever this desk is made out of fake wood or whatever. You know, it's, it's been going well and it's been received yeah. really well. And we've taken some of those technology pieces that we've built and we've now moved that into more of a digital patient-facing sort of approach. Let's see what mm. we can do to actually take technology and apply it to that patient experience. And even if we apply it to the caregiver experience upstream, whether that's spouse, loved one, whether that is provider, whether that's prescriber, you know, if we can find ways to make it easier for everybody, then the patient wins at the end of the day. And that's ultimately where you would expect healthcare to be in 2022. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, it's. I think that was one of the things I always found very intriguing about what you were doing was that you were, I think so often with automation, people will look at the tasks that take most of the time in a day and 
almost look to just automate that task. And I think what's really intriguing about it's like you step back from the the trees to see the whole forest and said, okay, there's some activities that kind of overlay that happen periodically that no one's really paying any attention to. And uh, and these need to be solved and addressed and it could be done in a better way. So it was- a, Yeah. I mean, it's not the most glamorous of stuff yeah, that people yeah, are dealing yeah. with, but it's it's mission critical to run a pharmacy. You know, if you're not licensed, if you're not accredited, if you're not contracted appropriately mm-hmm. and compliant, it all goes out the window. You can't take care of patients if there's no patients coming to your front door. <laughs> So, you know, we found ways that if we can solve that problem and do it in an effective way, then mm-hmm. people can trust the work that we do. And so far, it's been been going well. That's awesome. So looking forward, if there was one thing you could be remembered for, what would you want that to be? You know, it's a very timely question, Richard. So mm-hmm. um, I was reflecting on that this past weekend. So my my dad actually passed away about five oh, years ago from ALS. So, you know, mm-hmm. it was one of those things where he was a young guy, relatively mm-hmm. healthy aside from that, but, you know, eventually passed away from the fatal disease. And he was honored this past weekend because he was inducted into his high school's Hall oh. of Fame. And he had worked there his whole career as well. And so it was, mm-hmm. you know, something where as I'm you know driving back from that event where it was just awesome to see him being remembered in such a way that Mm. it got me to thinking like what is it that someday right you know not not to be thinking about in that regard but you know it's one of those things where you know at the end of the day it's really what you stand for and what your integrity is throughout Mm. the course of your career that stands up so it's kind of that moment for me like if somebody were to be eulogizing me what would what i want to be remembered for yeah and i truly think that it is looking at the care of patients and finding a better way to do that. Yeah, I want people to take a step back and say, you know what? He was able to crack one of those nuts that was always mm-hmm. out there and trying to fix this puzzle of the patient experience or the provider experience or something to that effect because right now it's tough. It's tough in any walk of a patient or a caregiver experience to see that you're doing something in a meaningful sort of way. So if I'm mm. at all successful and you know, I'm looking back on it in my career someday, I'd love to be remembered for the fact that, you know, hey, he was able to figure out how to drive outcomes longitudinally across care. He was able to make one patient's life better. You know, something like that where I could show that there's a little bit more of a meaning than you know, just making a couple of bucks and building a company that turned itself over or something like that. I like it. Oh, that's great. I mean, it's certainly a pretty complex industry we operate in. What's something that you think most people don't understand about healthcare in the US? You know, I think people underestimate the number of hands that are in the pot when it comes to taking care of mm. you as an individual patient. I mean, you don't mm. you don't necessarily think about it. And a lot of the times when you think of healthcare, mm-hmm. you see these, you know, these little anecdotes, these little clips, these little sound bites in the media about certain elements of things. And you know, I always find it very interesting when people are like, oh, well, if we lower the cost of medications, it's going to solve the healthcare crisis. Well, yep. no, it's just going to shift that focus mm-hmm. somewhere else because mm-hmm. the entire system is so interconnected. And I think that's where people tend to lose sight of that. The interconnectivity of what a patient brings to the table is mm-hmm. oftentimes lost on the general public. Like you see it as, I need my script for amoxicillin. I need, you know, this one particular need and and get an authorization approved so I can get an MRI. Like you don't see the big tangled web of mess that that healthcare truly is. And the more that you start to unwind it and unravel it, it's incredible at how complex it truly is Mm -hmm. in, in our market. Yeah, I think that's so true. If you had a magic wand and you could change some aspect, what do you think you'd want to be able to, to shift overnight? Yeah. 
I think the overnight shift for me would be finding a way to drive value between inpatient and outpatient care. Now, when I say inpatient, I'm talking about you know point of diagnosis, even mm. if it's in a you know in a clinician's office. Mm. But take a step back and think about it. If if you were diagnosed with that, and I'll use myself as the example. Mm-hmm. So I I now technically am a specialty patient. Mm. I've had high cholesterol my whole life, and mm-hmm. uh, I was on a statin. Nobody was mm. checking me to make sure that my levels mm-hmm. were what it needed. You know, if I was non-compliant, I was non-compliant. But, you know, if I had a cardiac event and I ended up in the hospital, nobody's mm-hmm. checking to make sure that that statin that I'm taking on the outpatient side is actually helping to keep me back out of the hospital. There's a mm-hmm. huge disconnect between the outpatient pharmacy-focused care model and what happens at point of diagnosis and yeah. point of ongoing maintenance. If there was a way to create that common thread between the two, that solves mm-hmm. your value-based care answer mm-hmm. right there. That solves how real-world evidence and outcomes are actually trackable because there's no way right now if patients started on a, a med mm-hmm. for their blood pressure and mm-hmm. they show up in the hospital with a cardiac event, mm-hmm. there's not a tie between the two. And uh, to me, if I had that magic wand, it would be Time. solving that piece of things to tie it all together, to look at you as a patient, not as Mm. an outpatient versus an inpatient in that yeah. regard. And do you think that's a data type issue? Like if we had that famous patient record that we carried around with us for uh, all of the care that we uh, had received over our lives that that and all the tests we'd done, et cetera, that maybe that that would help bridge that gap? I think yeah. that's, a, that's a huge step in the right mm. direction. It's one of those areas that you tend to forget about. You know, I, I did a, a program. Oh, shoot. When was this? This was in, in code. I did a program at, at Harvard mm. Business School mm. a couple of years ago related to value-based care. Mm. And they're talking about all of these great cases where we're going to prove value in healthcare. We're going to prove value in showing efficiencies and outcomes and all of these things. But everything was related to the inpatient yeah. side. It was, oh, well, if you had a knee replacement, did you come back in because you were rehospitalized mm. due to a complication from the surgery? Not we stayed out of the hospital because we had an anticoagulant that allowed us to keep that joint and not go yeah. back into the hospital. And I was the only pharmacist in the group. I'm like, wait a second. Hey, what about us over here? Because we do a lot on the outpatient mm. side to make this work. And it was like that question, like, oh, we never really thought about that. Like, it's not the surgeon's responsibility after they put that new yeah. joint in to keep track of you at home. Mm-hmm. There's not that connectivity there. So I think you're right. I think finding a way to create that universal patient identifier or one of those like synergistic, I'm looking at me as me. You know, actually the last week, some of the effects of the 21st Century Cures Act went into effect is it's allowing patient data ownership right. to roll back to the mm. patient. I think that's going to be yeah. huge. I think that's going to be one of those ways to help solve those mm. things. It's just taken us way too long yeah. to get there. Yeah. Yeah, but it does seem that some of this transparency is starting to gradually chip away and give shine a light in many places where there was no clarity at all about what was going on and what the prices were. So I think it's it's good, but it's gonna yeah, I agree. It's gonna take time. Are there any other key sort of trends or developments that you're seeing that think are going to have a significant impact in the next few years? You know, I think you know, it's been a hot button word for a number of years, but things like interoperability, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to, to digital patient care mm-hmm. and engagement, we're finally at a point now where 
there's some teeth behind it. You know, when you're looking at some of the ONC initiatives to actually push mm. data interoperability, not just at the individual patient level, like we just mentioned, but more broadly speaking, now that there's standards out there, things like Smart on Fire and things where before mm. it was largely up to the individual vendor to say, I'm going to create my data standard and whether it plays nice in the sandbox or not, mm. we're going with it. Now that there's some parity for those things, I think that's going to be a huge opportunity and it seems like that's the trend that we're moving towards. You have a lot of individual providers that may have had a partial solution to something that it didn't fit into the whole big puzzle of healthcare, mm. but you needed to have a one-to-one relationship. I was going to call Rich up and say, hey, Rich, I need to integrate with you. Yeah. Now, if we're all playing by the same set of rules and using the same language, I think that's really going to open up the door for mm. some of these next generation changes for things. If I could put a smart device in a patient's home and it doesn't matter who their EMR provider is at the doctor's office or what pharmacy they went to, and it's not talking that same language, yeah, I'll put a smart blood pressure cuff in that patient's home. And now it's going to track that patient's mm. blood pressure now that they started an antihypertensive and prevent mm. that cardiac event from happening. I think it's finally, you know, kind of like you said, it's starting to put those pieces together. I think the concept of interoperability has matured enough to a point where it's going to be actionable yeah. interoperability. Yeah. And then it'll look like an overnight success story. <laughs> it's been... I mean, hey, look at I mean, you know, you and I are recording this on Zoom right now. Think back to when we used to do these calls, like, oh, it was so cool. And oh, we were doing a video conference and then everybody got sick of it and they got the Zoom fatigue or whatever. It became that overnight standard of care. And I'm hopeful yeah. that that happens yeah. to a certain regard with some of these healthcare related elements. No, it'd be super cool. Yeah, so that's awesome. It'd be really interesting to hear about as a founder now, you've you've obviously seen some of the challenges of introducing and scaling innovations. I'm curious if you can share sort of any lessons that you learned through that. Don't start a company going into a global pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> I joke, but I mean, we yeah. launched our first product stack in September yeah. of 2019. And yeah. we had the tiger by the tail, we were going for it, and then all of a sudden, not so much. So Again, not that you could predict the future, yeah, would not go through that again. I think the lesson that I've learned that's been the most telling for me as not only an entrepreneur, but as an individual, like just personally, is finding a way to meet the consumer where they are Mm. and finding a way, you know, I could think that there's a really good solution and I could think that what we've built has been the best possible solution, but not everybody is a Steve Jobs in the sense that you know mm-hmm. people didn't know they wanted all of their devices in one place until mm-hmm. he gave it to them. There's a lot of resistance to change in the marketplace. And you yeah. know, we saw that very early on with our stack product. Mm-hmm. You know, there was looking at the specialty industry, there's about 500 duly accredited specialty pharmacies mm-hmm. when we launched our product. And I'm thinking, here we are, White Knight, we're going to help you out make this easier. Well, clearly they already had a process in place to become accredited. And yeah. it's not like we were going to totally upend their existence just because we're now here as a solution. So it's mm-hmm. finding a way to be humble enough to recognize that there's a process in place, but also know that mm. you have to maybe change the approach to bringing 
a blue ocean type of concept into the market because a lot of people weren't used to that. Yeah, the status quo is pretty formidable competition and uh, it could take quite a bit to get people to shift to to a new way of doing something. That's for sure. You know, and it's yeah. it was always telling to me because I would do a demo for, you know, an organization of this product. I'm like, yeah, of course, I'm all in. You know, I'm yeah, gung yeah, ready yeah. to go. Everybody loves it. But then you had one person in that organization mm -hmm. that looked at it and said, Oh man, a computer is going to take my job. Like one of those bad mm -hmm. sci-fi movies from the the seventies and the eighties. Like that's not the intent. Like the intent here is to help to empower you to be mm -hmm. effective. And it was like learning through that process. Like how do we change? How do we, you know, make sure that the messaging is such that people can see it as a benefit, as opposed to mm -hmm. I'm going to be getting a pink slip because the computer's stepping in to do my work for me. Yeah, exactly. That's. Definitely something to be aware of when you try to <laughs> introduce these new innovations. Very cool. So I'm also amazed too. You you're quite involved in the academic community as well, and I'm I'm wondering if you can share any tips on how you've managed to find the time to balance this running a startup and also being engaged on the academic side. You know, that's a great question. And honestly, right outside of pharmacy school, I, I was still not sure how I wanted to practice. I mean, heck, I was going to be an architect. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like we said, I didn't, yeah, I had yeah. no career aspirations yeah. to dive into any one area of pharmacy, and so I ended up finding myself in a position. I was in a teaching fellowship. Mm. Right of school and it was great i learned a ton from the experience but i didn't actually complete the fellowship ah, and okay. part of the reason why was because i had you know what they now today call that mm. the concept of imposter mm. syndrome yes i felt like people could see right through my big white lab coat mm -hmm. because they knew that i just graduated they knew that i didn't have that firsthand experience but i really liked mm. the teaching aspect mm. maybe it was my dad being a teacher you know, yeah that, that yeah, yeah dropped off on me but you know, so i left I, I quit the fellowship and i went to start to work in specialty mm. and i I found my way back into it because mm -hmm. I saw that from an educational perspective, this aspect of the industry was so woefully underserved. There mm. wasn't enough knowledge of what it was or how it was to get enough people to buy into yeah, to what yeah. that was. So, you know, starting to get involved in the classroom setting, you know, how many students graduate from pharmacy school every year and they've never heard of specialty pharmacy as a career opportunity. Right. It's incredible. You didn't ever really think about that mm -hmm. until later on. And so it was one of those things that it kind of one of those light bulb moments for me to say that if you can educate people and you do it an appropriate way and mm -hmm. you know in an agnostic sort of way so that way people can understand what they need to know helps people to make better decisions later on and so i've kind of taken that approach in teaching in master's programs and doctoral programs and, and helping to consult and teach ce and all of these areas where that's a common thread across any part of a healthcare industry is yeah. knowledge and if there's a way that we can help to elevate everybody's knowledge mm -hmm. about a particular topic, whether it's clinical, non-clinical, you know, operations versus not, then everybody can get a little bit better as a result. And so I still dabble. I still help to do educational things from here and there. But to me, it's important to have that as a backbone. And actually, we, we had just recently launched Stack into the educational sector as well, oh, wow. just because we said, hey, you know, it's it's a way that you can help create standardization mm. for a largely unstandardized mm. approach. And if we can be a catalyst to help change that, then why not? Well, that's really cool. Well, I guess you're seeing a lot of young folks sort of making their start in industry through these academic connections. Do you have any career recommendations for people getting going in the industry? The biggest recommendation that I always like to leave my students with, whether they're coming with me on a clinical rotation or if they're just class I'm teaching, is your career doesn't 
define where you are at that point in your life. You know, the job that you have doesn't always do that. A lot of times, especially nowadays with the the market in such fluctuation for pharmacists, mm. you can get a job as a pharmacist. It may not be that dream job that you thought you were going to get, but you're going to sit back and retire in 20 or 30 years and not say that's the only job that I had coming out of college. Right. It's going to be looking at it from a sum. You're going to say, hey, I took this position and it got me to here and it got me to there. And you'll be sitting on a beach drinking a mimosa someday mm. saying my career was a sum of all of these things. Yeah. And, I, and I try to, to instill that in a lot of my students to say, yeah, you know, this might not be where you want to be. You might not I want to have to do this you might not want to have to take this but look at it you have to take something from that experience let's mm -hmm. find a way to take the positive from that that you can grow from so that way it gets you to that next point in your career yeah i like that a lot it's good any favorite books or podcasts you well obviously joined? this podcast yeah, is one of my, my favorites it. here I got, <laughs> you know right now actually i just started reading a book I have it right here it's called from me to we oh. by ricardo ernest it's through uh georgetown university press and it's um really really interesting because it's talking about creating shared value within an organization ah, okay. and finding ways that you can take mm. an idea that you have mm -hmm. and looking to grow that for the value of an organization as a whole. And oh, so cool. to me, that's like a pretty meaningful mm -hmm. approach to driving culture within mm -hmm. an organization. You know, if you can say, hey, this is my idea. Like I yeah. had foresight enough to, to quit my job yeah. and start a tech company, even though I had no business doing that, like let's find a way that I can get you on board to believe in that as well. And it's, yeah. it's been really, really meaningful and impactful from that perspective. Oh, that's great. I will have to check that that's out. It. Yeah. Yeah, I say prior to that, another good read. I try to look at a little bit of everything. I just finished, of all things, Jim Henson's biography. Oh, Jim Henson from the Muppets. Yeah. And it was phenomenal for me because, you know, as an innovator, mm -hmm. you know, people think, oh, you just made a bunch of puppets. But he was very, very insightful. You know, mm. Another person gone too soon because he passed very early yeah. in his lifetime. But some of the insights that he had related to building that culture within an organization yeah. and implementing that, mm -hmm. actually implementing that were phenomenal. So it's, it was a really, really interesting read for me, not just because, you know, like, mm. You know, watching the Muppets and things like that yeah. as a kid, but yeah. like it was just looking at the insight of a person and how they were able to take something that wasn't an industry, right, and turn it into yeah the phenomena that was another great example of finding ways to bring innovation to an industry. So yeah, absolutely, I can see, uh, I can see that. Cool. Where can listeners find you and connect with you online if they'd like to do that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So one of two places mm -hmm. you could look at our website, managewithstack.com. Mm -hmm. That's where you can learn more about the business link to contact me directly, either via email or LinkedIn is there. The other thing is always LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm a huge proponent of leveraging that technology, yeah. not only to create those interpersonal connections, but to see where those connectivities can exist that you didn't even think about yeah. in the past. So just search for me, Jonathan Gorchak, you'll find me. And uh, there, awesome. there are too many Gorchaks out there. No, that's... So it's not, not, if you can spell it, you can find <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, well, Jonathan, thanks so much for the time and uh, always a pleasure to catch up. Likewise, and, appreciate it, Rich. Yeah, no, really great. And to our audience, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did, please don't forget to review the Sombre Health podcast on your favorite streaming service. It really helps others to find and enjoy the show. So goodbye and we'll catch you on the next one. <laughs>